Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Hello, my name is Kelly Brownell. I'm the director of the Rudd Center for Food Policy and Obesity at Yale University. Our guest for this first of two podcasts is Dr. Ellen Wartella, Althani Professor of Communication, Professor of Psychology, Professor of Human Development and Social Policy, and Director of the Center on Media and Human Development at Northwestern University. She is a leading scholar on the role of media in children's development and serves on a variety of national and international boards and committees on children's issues. She was co-principal investigator of the Children's Digital Media Center project funded by the National Science Foundation and was co-principal investigator on the National TV Violence Study. She's published widely in the communications and psychology journals on children's media issues. She's a trustee of the Sesame Workshops and serves on the PBS Advisory Board on Children and Television. Ellen, I'm delighted to have you here. Thank you, Kelly. It's nice to be here. So one of the, the areas in which you've done an incredible amount of work is the impact of food marketing on children. And as a historical beginning point, you were highly involved in a 2006 report from the Institute of Medicine on children and marketing. Could you tell us what that committee found and what some of the basic um, the principles of the, came out of that whole process? Because it was a very extensively done project. Love to. The 2006 study on food marketing and children's diets was requested by actually the 2004 IOM committee that found um, that childhood obesity was a rising crisis in the United States. And they looked at all the different elements and influences on it and said, we're just not able to, to look at food marketing, but we think it's involved. So the IOM committee on food marketing first looked at um, the fact that children's diets are out of sync with what they should be. They're too high in fats and sugars and calories and um, salt and not enough nutrients that they need. And it looked at what kinds of advertisements and marketing children are exposed to, primarily TV advertising, and found that the products that are being advertised to children are out of sync with children's diets and tend to be, again, high in fats and sugars and salts. Um, and calories. And I think the most important thing that that committee did was it undertook a systematic review of the research that was extant at the time on food marketing and its relationship to children's uh, food preferences and diets. We studied and examined 123 studies. Unfortunately, the major independent variable was TV advertising. We didn't have a lot of other marketing practices to look at. And uh, through that systematic review, and everyone on the committee participated in doing the, the review, we concluded that that TV advertising um, has a strong influence, particularly on children 2 to 11, on their food preferences, their food choices, and their short-term um, actual diets, what they eat. We concluded that the data for children, particularly adolescents, 12 to 18, were just not clear enough. There were too, too few studies to draw a conclusion. But what findings did exist was consistent with what we found for 2 to 11-year-olds. In short, it's clear that TV advertising influences children's food preferences, their food, their, uh, food choices, and their diets. And when that advertising and the kinds of products that are being advertised are out of sync with the recommended kinds of products and foods children should eat, we end up with an obesity crisis. So that the impact of food marketing on children's diets and, and ultimately their health, 
wouldn't be a problem if there weren't a lot of it. Wouldn't be a problem if there were a lot of it or if there were a different um, array of foods that were being, if we had more uh, fruits and vegetables, for instance, that were being promoted, that would be much, much more helpful than um, at the time we found it uh, sugary beverages and salty and um, sugary snacks were the primary foods that are marketed to children. And I know there were some pretty strong recommendations made in that report. And without getting into the specifics, what was the spirit of what the committee recommended? The spirit of the report was, first off, that the food industry needed to be part of the solution to the childhood obesity crisis, that it was a call to arms to say that um, in many ways the industry could start promoting healthier foods for children um, and, in particular, using practices that would um, use the best persuaders, such as the use of licensed characters or cartoon characters, use those licensed characters in only promoting healthy foods. Um, it also suggested that one of the things that the industry um, and the government could do together would be to developed for the first time a public health campaign directed at new parents on what are adequate and healthy eating patterns for their children. Unfortunately, that's the one recommendation that we've seen absolutely no movement on that came out of that report. And I think that's really um, quite unfortunate because I do think that more parents are interested in knowing what constitutes healthy diets for children. So back, that's 2006, now a number right. of years ago. And one thing that I thought was very smart that you and several colleagues did was write a follow-up paper on that 2006 report. Could you explain what that's about and what you intended to accomplish? Sure. V Vivica Craig, who is the study director from the IOM, and Mary Story, who is another, she's a nutrition scientist at Minnesota, and I were all part of that 2006 study. We went, we, we combed through public documents, research papers, uh, newspaper articles to see what had happened as an outcome of that, of that report. And we specifically looked at the recommendations that were made for industry, such as trying to market healthier food, Foods, trying to have some oversight, uh, not using um, licensed characters, things that were recommended for government, such as providing one, one location within the federal government that oversaw all of food marketing practices, because now it's divided up into different places, FDA, USDA, um, other places in health and human services, um, Department of Agriculture, um, and um, the, the issue of having this um, uh, marketing campaign. And I guess the bottom line is right out the door of that report by within a year, um, the first step was really made by industry when they established a self-regulatory arm called the Children's Food and Beverage Advertising Initiative, CFBAI, which was originally created with 10 food and beverage companies. Um, who were beginning to adopt voluntary guidelines for marketing healthier foods for kids. CFBAI over the years has gone through different iterations. It now is about 17 companies. Uh, when it began, it didn't have common nutritional standards. Every company had their own and all as you would expect, the nutritional standards were the ones that benefited their their company. If they didn't have salt in their products, they had really strict salt standards, for instance. Now they have common nutritional standards um, that all companies have to abide by. Uh, they've all agreed not to use um, the licensed characters. They've all agreed that they're going to try to promote only healthier foods for children. Unfortunately, most of those promises won't go into effect until 2014, so we'll have to see how they hold themselves to it. But what we've seen since 2006 
particularly in the area of the industries nudging in the, in the direction, is this dance between threats of government regulation and then the industry responds. And so you start at point X, you move them to point Y, and then you try to get to Y plus one and, and gradually getting them where you want. And that dance has begun. In the area of the, the government, um, the it was surprising to us that um, – a lot of the activities of the government did not come to fruition. One of the areas that was most um, uh, held up as a likely government response was the inter- in interagency working group initiative. Uh, that was a, a series of four agencies within the federal government that came together to develop what they were calling as voluntary nutritional standards for foods marketed to children. It was led by the CDC. Bill Dietz was there at the time. And that proposal came out in December of 2009. It languished for a year because the they had shown it to the industry. They didn't like it. Um, finally, in April of 2011, it um, went to the to, to Congress, and then it went to the White House. And from what I understand, it is now dead in the water. And that was going to be actually establishing nutritional standards for foods marketed to children, voluntary, mind you, but are ones that the nutrition scientists agreed upon were reasonable standards. Um, that is not going to happen. So in many ways, It's interesting to say that in many ways um, the industry responded early on and has continued to make some changes where um, government has been a little bit lax on that. Um, They haven't established the kind of nutritional standards. They haven't established one oversight committee. Um, um, Although there have been discussions such as the Move On campaign in the White House, which makes it clear that the the federal government is interested in the food marketing issues, I suspect nothing will really happen now until after the uh, presidential election. All that said, the other areas that have been um, languishing, if you will, uh, the um, associations have not been as quick to respond, the Grocery Manufacturers Association or the American Beverage Association. And what we really have with CFBAI is only about two-thirds of the companies that actually market to children signing on to those um, uh, self-regulatory guidelines. So there is room for more of a dance and some more pressure to try to improve the quality of marketing to children. So the dance that you describe involves a, a, a credible threat of government regulation that the companies perceive, and then they move ahead. And then as that threat escalates, they move ahead a little bit more. Is that fair to say? I think that's quite fair to say. And in 2009, there was a conference that was held that December by the Federal Trade Commission. And at the po- at that point, one of the um, major, the head of the Consumer Protection Bureau made it clear that publicly that um, the FTC was ready to move on uh, food marketers who are not marketing healthy foods to children, that they considered this a a major issue. Nothing has quite happened with that, but I think it was that threat that um, industry was responding to over the next year in a number of ways. As an aside, uh, one of our previous guests on a podcast, Bill Dietz, who you referred to, discussed that issue of the interagency working group and sort of the ins and outs of it. So if any of the listeners who are listening now or interested in that, they could go and refer to that podcast. Um, so when you mentioned the re- report in 2006 and the research had been done was mainly on TV advertising, uh, there's grave concern, I know, and I know you share this from things that I've heard you present at meetings, that it's much more than TV advertising now. And that 
that the whole landscape has changed entirely. The landscape has changed com- really completely. Um, if you think about it, TV advertising is relatively passive on the part of the viewer. They respond to whatever is put on the screen, and it's a, it's a mass medium, so everyone gets the same message. What we have today with digital media, with the ability to push advertising to uh, cell phones and smartphones and um, mobile devices is a completely different environment. It varies in at least three ways that I can think of. One way is that uh, advertising is not just passively accepted by the by the viewer and you get the same message, but messages can be framed and pushed to you based on what you already buy. And so there's this targeted um, customized advertising that's available because of digital technologies. And that comes then with the ability to engage the um, receiver of the messages, engage you in actually, particularly young people, in creating messages. So we have something called peer-to-peer communication. On your Facebook page, you can have uh, a logo for Pepsi-Cola if that's your favorite drink, and you can share your experiences of Pepsi-Cola with your friends or advertise to your friends whenever they come onto your Facebook page. So so there's also the engagement of the subject or of the consumer in new ways in actually creating. And then thirdly, there's um, a kind of stealth advertising, a kind of set of different kinds of advertising practices that we may not even think of as advertising that are hard to identify. Um, when you go onto, uh, let's say, a page for Cocoa Krispies online and the internet, and you're playing a game in which Cocoa Krispies is engaged, do the children really think about this advert game as an advertisement? And they identified it as such. And that's kind of the bedrock of all of the regulation of advertising to children, is that children must be able to identify what is advertising from what is not advertising. And that line between what is and is not advertising is completely blurred in many of the new marketing practices, particularly in the digital world. So um, there are at least three ways in which we now have a whole new environment of marketing to children, an environment in which, unfortunately, not enough for search has been done for us to understand um, its effectiveness and its influence. I'd like to ask you a question about one of the particular issues you brought up, which is the targeted marketing. That is that as a consumer, if I'm on the web, they, they can know what sort of purchasing patterns I have and then target me specifically. And, and what you might receive would be a whole different set of messages. Mm-hmm. I was talking to, to one of my sons about this who said, well, what's so bad about that? I mean, you know, if I'm, if I'm on the computer, why would I want to be seeing, seeing aids, uh, an ad for a hearing aid, for example? In my age, that's not relevant. But if they target me with things that are relevant to me, that's all for the good. What's the downside of it? Well, the downside is that it, it begins to creep close to what boundaries we've established in the past for privacy. For them to be able to target, um, in my case, I get targeted messages for Eileen Fisher clothes, because I buy a lot of Eileen Fisher clothes online. Um, It's very nice when I find out somebody's having a sale on them. On the other hand, for them to be able to present me with that specific message, they have to track what I'm doing online. They have to track what purchases I'm making. And that process of tracking, particularly tracking young children and where they're going, um, that begins to skirt what we think of as our privacy. And so the concerns, in fact, there are people who have started campaigns, no tracking campaigns. It's because we see in this digital world the ability um, that none of us has a private life 
or has the ability to keep private our purchases or what we do. And um, clearly, privacy is eroding. And as that's a consequence a special of that, concern for children. That is a special concern for children because who's doing the tracking? Now, the, the, because the, these are new frontiers of marketing, and all this has happened pretty recently, I'm assuming there are going to be gaps in regulatory authority and questions about who even has jurisdiction over these sort of things. Yes, the interactive, the digital world is especially fraught with questions over who who has uh, control and ability for it. The the conditions under which we regulate the broadcast networks, television and radio, um, differently, for instance, we don't have regulations of newspapers, is because of what's called uh, the scarce resource of the broadcast airwaves. And because not everyone could own a television station, um, the FCC was asked to regulate in the public's interest, their convenience, and their necessity in lieu of the public. Well, now, when you have anyone can start um, a website, anyone can get online, uh, it's unclear who owns the, the spaces that are being used for digital. It's unclear what the principle is for regulation and the digital environment. And that's important because uh, the bedrock document in the United States is the Bill of Rights and the First Amendment to the Constitution, which guarantees freedom of speech and of the press, um, among other things. And so there's a lot of debate and discussion going on of what are the conditions under which um, activities in the digital realm can and should be regulated. I'd love to hear your opinion on where you think this all should go. So, so far you've painted a picture where serious concerns about the amount of food marketing and what's being marketed to children. Um, now, number of years after that influential 2006 report, there's still a tremendous amount of it, and kids are being targeted digitally in all sorts of ways that aren't quite understood. There are questions about regulatory authority. Where do, where do you see this going in the future, and what do you think needs to happen? Yeah. Well, I, I, you know, I, this reminds me of the debates that were going on in the late 1990s about TV violence. And in our country, we've always privileged the right to speech over concern about impact. And the argument has always been, because we've talked about political speech, that more speech will uh, drown out in that great marketplace of ideas, bad speech. I think a different sort of argument is going to have to be made as we move forward, not about who has the right to speak and where they have the right to speak, but what impact certain kinds of speech, uh, in this case uh, commercial speech, has on the health and welfare of children. And I would focus primarily on children because we do want to protect them in ways that we don't necessarily worry about protecting adults. And so I think a different set of arguments have to be made, not about the advertiser's right to freedom of speech, but the collective uh, community's right to healthy children and what can we do to protect them. And it's when we begin to make the public health argument about the role of advertising or I'll say the same thing about media violence, which has very negative consequences for children's behavior. I think then we're on better grounds for making some regulatory um, constraints. Unfortunately, that argument about public health and about protecting children just hasn't had as much um, currency and hasn't been adopted as well in the public arena as I think it should be. Oh, final question. How in the world can you administer rules, even if they were to come about, 
because so much of what children are exposed to in terms of food marketing isn't coming at media specifically designed for them. So you might pass a rule to say that, well, a, a children's cartoon program may not be permitted to have advertisements for unhealthy food, but you know, kids are watching football games and car races and lots of adult entertainment programming and things like that. How would you deal with that? Well, I, I think it's up until about a middle child, which is about age seven, um, most children are watching mostly child-oriented um, programs. They're attending to child-oriented apps and websites. It's true by the time they reach middle childhood, it gets more difficult. But I'd be in favor of doing what I can for those early years to set them off on the right trajectory, at least. That makes sense. Well, thank you so much. It's really nice of you to join us and talk to us about this very important topic. Thank you for having me. So we're going to do a second podcast shortly on the issue of front of package food marketing. Um, and uh, I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Ellen Wartella, Alfani, Professor of Communication, Professor of Psychology, Professor of Human Development and Social Policy, and Director of the Center on Media and Human Development at Northwestern University. Please visit our website, www.yalerudcenter.org. There you'll find a list of the other wonderful people who've come to speak in our podcast series and a variety of other resources on food and food policy issues. Thank you.